0: So today's sicha is the first sicha on Parsha Noach in volume 20 of the Rebbe's talks published to the Kute Sichos. This bringing that the Rebbe said this Torah talk was on Saturday night in 1979, Parsha Noach, Tavshin Mem. And it's worthwhile to note Two things. First of all, the reason why it was on a Saturday night, the Fabrengan, is because from when the Rebbe had his heart attack in the end of 1977, for almost two years, the Rebbe Fabranged instead of Shabbos by day, where you can't have a microphone, so for his health, because of he was ga- you know regaining, recovering from the heart attack, that he was able to speak by night on a microphone. Take a picture. Okay, that's it. He's there now. So it's important that we remember that that uh, that's number one, why it was on a Saturday night. Number two, number two is that that year in 1979, there was a big, big tragedy that happened uh, in Crown Heights. Uh, it was a very very unusual thing even though the Crown Heights section of Brooklyn is a mixed neighborhood and it was even more mixed neighborhood then in terms of the uh, there was a the non-jewish community and the Jewish community together there were a lot of uh, poverty there was communities that came from uh, the, the, in this case there was some a lot of black people that were living in a in a in a big poverty and for whatever reason, Somebody they in the newspaper, the New York Times. It's published. I checked it up today. That it says there that it was a a person of black color, but really it doesn't matter. Actually, that. But he took out a gun and he shot a chassid in his in the head on the way going to synagogue in the morning. His name was Rabbi David Akinov, and it was a very tragic uh, story. The man had just uh, arrived not too long before surviving communist Russia. And trying to be a Jew in Russia under all those conditions, and coming with his family to New York and living in Crown Heights and go and going to shul. So that Saturday night by the Fabringen, the Rebbe started off with a Hasidic discourse on mimer, and the Rebbe actually broke down crying in middle of the uh, middle of this uh, mimer. It was very uh, uh, you know very emotional, hard very hard time. One of the things the Rebbe said then was that. It, it, that we were living in such a dark time that even though it says that a person cannot get harmed on the way doing a mitzvah, here the person was holding his talis and tefillin on the way to shul, and this happened. So it was so dark that we can That even this, you know, could happen. The Rebbe also said by the Fabringan that we must work on ourselves to have extra simcha because the only way to overcome it is through being the <laughs> go try to understand that but that's the exercise to be in difficult times he also suggested that that bringing that the people the chassidim, should make a new institution and make a, a new uh, some kind of you know Jewish institution in his name which actually it exists till today a whole big uh, yeshiva especially for Russians that come out and teaching them Torah and so on now at this verbregen there was a couple of talks of Sikhs, and one of them, the Rebbe, addresses the theme that we're going to talk about today. And once we learn this well, we're actually going to be able to appreciate what it means to overcome this, to be able to deal with certain things in life that on one hand we on one hand we we need to intellectually digest things on the other hand we also have to have a certain faith so but let's go in order the, the verse says right in the opening statement of this week's Parshus Noah where the world was corrupt dangerous it was a bad place and Hashem decides he's going to make this flood on the world and he's going to instruct Noah's family to go into this ark he's going to have Noah build it for 120 years So that during this time, people will say, what are you building, Mr. Noah? And he's going to answer them, I'm building an ark because God's going to bring a flood to destroy all the bad people. So hopefully this will awaken people to repent. That was the goal and why he would do this out in the public. At the end, we all know that only Noach, his three sons, his wife and his son's wives, only those eight people, humans are survived, included certain animals and certain birds and, and, and different uh, species of the world were allowed to go into the ark and that's what was preserved there through the flood. But the beginning, opening verse reads like this. <speaking in Hebrew> These are, the following verses is the is the offsprings of Noah? Noach, it says the second time, Noah is a ish tzaddik. He's a righteous person. Tamim, he's a complete person. And Tamim haya, he was a complete person. And then the verse adds a word. And it says, In his generation. That's the key word that we're going to talk about here. So it says, these are the offsprings of Nayach, Nayach, the righteous person who was complete in his generation. Now, the question is, the verse could have just said that this is the offs, the following is the offspring, his family of Nayach. Nayach was a righteous and complete person. Why do you have to tell me that he was a complete person in his generation? What's that? word that he was a great person in his generation are you trying to include something or exclude something says Rashi brings down two commentaries these are commentaries that are brought down in the Talmud brought down in the Medrash it's brought down in the Zohar and the Kabbalah brought down in many places Rashi brings down these two opinions about this that the emphasis that he was a great man in his generation Yes, Mirabis beSeinu. There are those sages that interpret the word, the emphasis that he was a great person in his generation to teach you that this is a positive compliment. What's the compliment? Let's think a second. The whole generation was corrupt, and he stayed not corrupt. So that's a praise to him. Imagine your entire society is corrupt, and you're the only one, or your only family that's you know normal. And positive and righteous to God. So that's a compliment. However, that's only one opinion. The other opinion opinion says no. It's not meant to tell you a positive compliment about Noah. It's trying to tell you that in his generation he was a great man. What's the big deal? Compare him to all the troublemakers in his generation. Big deal to be a good person. He's He was a righteous person, but that's not a compliment. The verse is telling you, for his generation, he was a great guy. It's easy to be the great guy when you're amongst a bunch of cronies, right? So the the sages tell us, the reason is, because if Noah would have lived in his righteousness level, if he would have lived during the time, the generation of Abraham, he would have been on nobody there. We would never even mention these words that he was a tzaddik. He was a righteous person. Because in comparison to the generation of Abraham, there were a lot of amazing good people there. So his level of good would have been nothing in comparison to the generation of Abraham. So you see how you can have two interpretations. One is saying he's complimentary and one is saying the opposite, that the verse is trying to tell you he's a great person in his generation. But any other generation, he would be a nobody. Says the Rebbe, it's totally not smooth, not understood here what it means if he would be in the generation of Abraham. It totally doesn't make sense, those words. What do you mean if he would have been born in the generation of Noah, in Noah Abraham? Actually, Noah and Abraham did live in this world at the same time. Noah did live during Abraham's lifetime. Now, if you have a pencil, you can write down this timeline so you'll be able to appreciate the timeline and I'll show you how you see that they were in the same generation, they lived in the same time in this world. Let's go like this. Noah was born in the year 1056 from creation of the world. 1056 years into the creation of the world, Noah was born. When did Noah die? In 2006. Okay, so from creation of the world, Nayak lived from 1056 till 2006, a total of 950 years. Nayak dies at 950 years old. Now, what year was Abraham born? That's an easy one. Abraham was born in 1948. That should be easy for our generation to remember this. He was born in 1948 from the creation of the world. So that means if Noach died in 2006, so in 1948, Noach was 892 years old. That means that Abraham and Noach lived together in this world for 58 years at the same time. Okay. Now, as a great hint to remember this, this idea that Abraham and Noach lived in the same generation, says the Eben Ezra, one of the most classic commentaries on the Torah. He says Abraham lived the years of Noach when Noach died. Noach is the, spelled nun and ches. The nun is fifty, and ches is eight. So Abraham lived. Nayach years, fifty-eight years during the lifetime of Nayach. So the question is, what does the opinion mean when it says that if he would be living, Nayach would live in the generation of Avraham, he would be a nobody? What do you mean if he did live in the generation of Avraham? It's not an if. Now, even though in the beginning of Avraham's life. It's true, No, Abraham did not reach the level of a Tadik. Actually, the Medrash says that Abraham in his old age, he was frightened because he said, maybe I still have on my shoulder a sin. When I was a kid, I used to worship idols. Remember, Abraham's father was Terach. He owned Idols Are Us. So he was a massive seller, wholesaler, Of idols, Avram was raised in such a house, so in the early years of his life, you know, he did what they did in the house till he was old enough to rebel against his father, which we'll talk about soon. So it was only later, a couple years after he was born, we'll find out the age that he recognizes that there's a creator to the world and the idol worship thing is nonsense. But certainly, before. The 58 years of age, according to all opinions, Abraham reached the level of recognizing and coming to the conclusion that there's a God in this world way before he turned 58 years old. And not just that, Abraham came to this conclusion with his own strength. Like the Rambam is, goes through in great length in the laws of idol worship he goes into great length to explain to us how Avram on his own he came to the conclusion to recognize that there's only one God he never had a teacher he figured this out by himself not like Nayach. Nayach was different Nayah came to the conclusion that there's a God in this world but it wasn't with his own work of figuring it out and asking questions and coming to the conclusion that there's a God we find that Noyach was taught, for example, laws of Torah laws, even though the Torah wasn't given yet. He was taught about all the, the the system and how the cycle of the moon and the sun, all the laws of Rosh Chodesh and stuff like that. He was taught that from other people. Where Who did he learn this from? Amazing. It's brought down in commentaries that he learned this from chanokh and Mithushalach. They were his, that's his grandparents, his grandfather. And according to the Rambam, the Rambam writes in the Guide of the Perplex, the Rambam writes there that Mr. Shalach actually had a study hall, a yeshiva, and he even had a beth din. So Noach's grandfather was a very learned people. So certainly that his grandchild, their grandchild Noach, learned in their yeshiva or in their learning place. It brings down from a medrash and a footnote here that actually his grandfather had an inheritance from his grandfather, from Adam, the first human in the world, his clothes. And he gave the clothes to Nayach. So clearly this boy Nayach was learned and knew about a God from, you know, not something that he worked on. It actually says Nayach always needed to have assistance helping him to study. But Avram was different. Abraham was different. Abraham learned everything on his own. He discovered the oneness of God all on his own. So, how is it possible to say if Noach would be in the generation of Abraham while Noach was indeed for many years in the life of Avram, during the lifetime of Avram? And certainly way into the days when Abraham recognizes that there's a one God. So, what's this? statement to say if he would have been in the generation of Abraham, Noah would have been a nothing. And that's what it means that he was a righteous person. His generation, if he would have been a Neyach's generation, he would be a nobody. He did live in Neyach's generation, as we said, 58 years. Even if you want to stress that when it says the generation of Abraham, maybe it could mean that it doesn't start when Abraham started to work on himself, but it means from when he started to bring humanity closer to God, as it says, that when Abraham was in Haran, he would bring closer people to believe in one God. As the Talmud says, that from that moment, when Abraham started to bring people closer to believe in one God, that's the moment that we're talking about, that it says that the 2,000 years of Torah started at that moment when he started to bring people closer. So basically, if you think about it, Abraham, again, he was born 1948. So only 52 years later was the year 2000, right? So from the year 2000, that's what it means, the statement in the Talmud that from the year 2000, Abraham, That's when when the years of Torah came into the world. It's referring to his bringing the oneness of God into the world. So even at that stage was many years before Neuch died. Eight years, ten years, whatever, nice amount of years. As the Gemara puts it, that Abraham at that time, when he was bringing people closer in the city of Haran, he was 52 years old. So at least from 52 to 58, they were living for sure. In other words, Nayak lived in this generation when Abraham was a devout, devoter of the one God and not an idol worshiper to the point that for sure when he was 52 years old, he was already bringing many people to that belief. So what does it mean if he would be in the generation of Abraham when he indeed was in that generation? Now, regarding this business of Abraham, recognizing a God at a certain age, when he was a child, he was an idol worshiper. By the way, this gives us all encouragement. Look, Abraham ultimately came about Baal Shubba. So we could all probably, uh, not probably, we could all breach like that. Look, you know, He came to that realization himself. But how old was he when this all, when this happened, when he recognizes that there's a creator to this world? There are many opinions about this. In Jewish literature, we find one opinion says when he was three years old, he already recognized that there's a God. And that's the age when he broke all his father's idols and so on. Another opinion says when Abraham was 40 years old. Another opinion says that when he was 48 years old. And another opinion says that he recognized that there's a greater when he was 50 years old. Now, obviously, each one of these opinions has reason and backup to their opinion. They're not just throwing out numbers. Now, how about the Rambam? Maimonides. What did he come to? Maimonides obviously was a big Torah thinker. What did he say? So Rambam, the Rambam says in the laws of idol worship, says the Rambam that Abraham was forty years old when he recognized the Creator of the world. Now there were, There's a famous commentary on the Rambam called the Ravid. The Ravid was a major, major arguer on Maimonides' statements. He would always very frequent, very sharp statements. It's called the Hasagas arrived It's actually printed in the Rambam today. All his questions and attacks on some of the, or many of the Rambam's statements. And he has a statement here. He says that there is a agadic source that Abraham was three years old. Not 40, like the Rambam says. He says there's an agadic source that Abraham was three when he recognized God, because there's a verse that says, akev. Asher Shama Avram B'Keli, which means that all the way from his heel, Akev, from his heel, Abraham listened to my voice. In other words, God gave a compliment to Abraham that you all, you listened to me all the way, your whole body down to your heel. You were devoted and listening to me. So the word Akev from your heel has a numerical value of one hundred and seventy-two. Abraham lived for one hundred and seventy-five years. So we, they deduce from this that when God said that all the way to your akev, you listened to me, meaning only for 172 years you were listened to me. Because the first three years of your life, you were, weren't brought up properly. You were, you know, raised in idols. So that's what it means. This is the proof, says the Ravid, that it wasn't 40 years old that he became recognizing of God. But really it was from three years old. okay. So, But nevertheless, there's a Kesef Mishnah. Kesef Mishnah is another commentary on the Rambam. And he always would try to reconcile the differences of the Rambam and the Raivit. The Rambam, by the way, other than the actual Torah, in other words, the written Torah, I would say the Rambam has the most commentaries written on one book. So many commentaries explain different things of the Rambam. Fascinating. But anyways, the Kesef Mishnah says, that actually both opinions are right. The rivids and the Rambam. How, is, is it 3 or 40? So he says, no, you could explain it like this. He says, by 3 years old, Abraham started to think about. He started using his own intellect from 3 years old to recognize that there's a creator. When he turned 40, it was a sealed recognition. In other words, he formalized his idea from 3 to 40. But by 40, it was a complete understanding of recognizing one God, so when the Rambam says forty, he's talking about when he's completed level of intellectually understanding and recognizing that there's a God, and says the of Mishnah that commentary that it's not forty eight, it's forty. In other words, there are many books that write that it's forty eight when he recognizes God. But I'm telling you that the Rambam is precise about his number 40, not like it's written in other places that says 48. Okay, says the Rebbe. Okay, very. we got this idea of uh, the the different opinions and the discussion. The Rambam says 40. In in most uh, versions of uh, printed Medrashim, it says that actually he was 48 years old. That's when Abraham recognized God. So why did the Rambam choose the opinion of the version that's published that it was only 40? And actually, 48, there's a reason why we say 48 also. Why there are many versions that say 48. Because, you know, you remember after the story of the flood, many years later, there was a group of people that decided they're going to build the Tower of Babel. Right? They decide they're gonna build a tower into the skies, they're gonna make sure a flood never happens again, whatever. They'll be in charge of God. They'll build it higher than God. And they'll they'll tell God when to rain or not, and so on. And God made this thing where at that time the whole world spoke one language, and after that, there was no more Google Translate, and everybody spoke a different language, and you couldn't communicate anymore. Okay? So that was called the generation of the Haflaga. It says that at that point, Abraham was 48 years old and he did not join the opinion of those people. And how did they come to that conclusion? So they bring down a whole list of people that were Abraham. That was Noah's descendants. Noah had a son, Shem. Shem had a son, Arpachshad. He had a son, Shalach. He had a son, Eber, who had a son, Peleg. And this great, great, great great, grandson named Peleg, Peleg is from the name Haflaga, which means that of that generation of the, of the uh, uh, disbursement of the people in different languages. And that happened at the end of the days of Peleg. That's what Rashi brings down. And it had to be at that stage. And that date was when Abraham was 48 years old. Okay, so that. But the question is, why does the Rambam have to choose that it was 40 years old? In other words... Why did he care to say that it was 40 years old? Another thing we have to understand. Since, as the of Mishnah said, we could use both opinions. Three, he started and 40, he finished understanding. So the Rambam could have actually stated this point that from three, he started to study about God. Rambam doesn't say anything about three. And the truth is actually why is it relevant to us at all to know what age Abraham recognized God? How does that help us? In other words, think of the question like this. The Rambam a book of laws. Why do you have to tell me in the book of laws that Abraham was 40 years old when he recognized our God? How does it help me to know anything about that age 40? So to understand these questions, let's summarize our questions again. Number one, when we said there are two opinions, when it says Noah was a righteous person in his generation, opinion is one opinion is that that's a compliment. His generation was so bad and he was so Tadik. The other opinion said no, it's the opposite. Noach really was a nobody. If he would be in a good generation like Abraham's, he would be a nobody. Meaning showing negative on his level. And that's why the verse says in his generation. So question number one is, what do you mean if he would be in the generation of Abraham? He wasn't in indeed in the same generation as Abraham for 50, 58 years. The next question is, we said, when did Abraham recognize that there is a God? So the Rambam says it was at the age of 40, even though other opinions say differently. Why did the Rambam have to say specifically 40 and not any other number that other opinions say? And what's the relevance of knowing the age? And why didn't he say that it started, that he started to search about God from three years old? So these are the questions we have to understand. So to understand all of this, the Rebbe goes into the history and the nuances of the amazing drive that made humanity mishuga. Let's use those words. You see today we're living in a world where when you watch news or you hear what's going on, you wonder what is with people's thinking. Where did they go? How did it happen that people just think so strange? What, what is it? What is it that could turn such huge groups of humanity off normality? Just doesn't make sense. Let's learn the way it was and the way the Rambam brings it down, and the Rebbe is going to have some powerful questions on this, of how it happened that the humanity came so obsessed with worshipping idols. It doesn't make sense. Worshipping a stone, a wood, a zodiac, a moon, a star. What happened to people? How does this happen? So the Rambam in the laws of Avayda it's called. Avayda means worshipping foreign uh, deities says the Rambam like this. He starts off in this first chapter of this subject and he says like this. In the days of Enosh. Enosh is the grandson of Adam. Imagine that. Only two generations from Adam. We call that generation the days of Enosh. Enosh was the son of Shais. Shais is the son of Adam. Adam Harishan. It was in the days of Enos, says the Rambam, that people started to make a mistake. And you know what kind of mistake? Ta'ut Gidol, a major mistake. And after that, as the Rambam goes and explains their mistake, and he concludes that this mistake led to the exact, precise problem of idol worship. And then the Rambam continues in the second paragraph. And he says, after many days, of days, generation, years, you know, past, but past. Since the days of Adam. And we had false prophets came around. And they said that God told them this. It was baloney. They were false prophets. And they said that God said to me that everybody should worship this star. etc., etc. So we started having another problem. First it started people making a mistake. Then it started with fake prophets, false prophets. And the Rambam goes in detail how it started the concept to worship a star. And he goes through this in great length until he goes to the lowest stage from stars. They went to zodiac. They went to other things that go around the world until they started to worship idols literally. Literally. When many days passed further, people completely forgot about God, the honor, the glory, the wondrous God, who is the one who holds up the whole world. And nobody recognized that there's a creator to the world anymore. Only very few selected people recognized that there was a creator to this world. For example, Chanoch Metushalach, Noah, Shem, Aver, these couple of giant holy people. And the world went and went and it rolled as he uses the expression until there was born in this world a pillar for this world. And who was that? Our dear father Abraham. That's what the Rambam writes in his second paragraph. In the third paragraph says the Rambam in great length how Abraham came to this conclusion of recognizing that there's a creator in this world and about all the great things that he did. That he would start gathering together people and he would start planting in the hearts of thousands of people. He was the first emissary of God to go out there to spread the good word. Until it became known to his son, Isaac. And then from his son, Isaac, it came known to his grandson, to Jacob. Jacob taught it to his 12 children. And like that, it started to spread more and more around the world about a one God, that there's a God that runs this world. And then he says, how it unfortunately, generations after the children of Jacob, they started to forget again And then God, after all this, he goes through this whole thing until Moses came around and gave us the Torah, which had commandments that you're not allowed to worship idol. That's what the Rambam goes through these three sections. Says the Rebbe, it's something seems not understood here. We all know that the Rambam is a book called a book of laws. The Rambam writes that in his his introduction. Whenever you want to know what a book is about, you have to read an introduction. The introduction tells you what the point of the book is. The Rambam writes in his introduction that I'm not a book of history. I'm not here to tell you the history of the world and even the history of the Jews. That's not the function of my book, the Rambam. The Maimonides set of books is a book of laws. So why is it relevant to law to know the entire lengthy discussion that I just mentioned? how it happened, the triple, the, 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 the domino effects of the descending, of the mistake of people, the mistake of through the false prophets, all the way to worshiping idols. From the days of Enosh, he's telling me this, it all started from, until the time when Hashem chooses the Jews for the inheritance, and he crowns them with the mitzvahs, and he tells them how you should serve him, and what's going to be the punishment for worship idol, and so on. But how is this relevant to know in a book of laws all this history things, when the Rambam is not really a book of history? When the Rambam would give us an introduction and say, the first human being to this world, Adam, he was commanded on a prohibition not to worship idols. I would be able to understand at least somewhat the full lengthy discussion of the Rambam because I would know to understand what happened that people started to worship idols but he doesn't start off saying oh by the way there was a, Abraham, Adam was instructed not to worship idols doesn't start like that and even the children of Noah in other words the B'nai Noahs people that follow Noah laws right they were commanded on worshiping and uh, not to worship idols Even though for many generations, since the days of Enish, they did worship idols, and it spread, this disease, so to speak, you know, a a way of thinking spread through the whole world. You shouldn't think that by them, they didn't have any prohibition, because look, Adam had his permission. But the Ramam does not mention this in this entire first chapter of the laws of worshiping, it doesn't mention anything about a commandment to Adam about not worshiping idols. So we see from this that the entire lengthy discussion of the Rambam bringing down this whole historical things which seem just like a history class that has no connection to laws, which is the point of the Rambam. So how do we meant to understand this full long section if his book is about laws and he's bringing me all this history stuff about worshipping idols? Says the Rebbe like this Fascinating, fascinating way of Understanding all of this It's like, you know, you zoom into the Rambam And then you have to zoom out and see the whole picture Rebbe says like this The first chapter Of the laws of worshipping idols And it's lengthy discussion The Rambam is actually here To teach you an introduction To the set of laws of worshipping It's not a history class At all not it's actually an introduction. What's this introduction here? So he says, like this the sin of worshiping an idol, even though in general you would say, Avoda Zara, Avoda means I'm doing something. Says here, he says, that worshiping an idol actually does not mean necessarily at or at all that you're physically worshiping an idol. It's connected to the thoughts of the human and the feelings in your hearts. That's the key of worshiping idols. That you think in your heart, you think in your mind, that a creation, an angel, a zodiac could be a god, or if not a god, you could think that it's a middleman to a god. You could think that its own its its own entity. Right? Do you know the joke? It's good to share a joke in the middle. You know the one with the... The girl comes home, a wealthy father, and she said, Dad, I have this amazing boy I met. He's a yeshiva student. He learned all his life. I want him, This is the guy I want to marry. I want to introduce him to you. Father says, bring him home. Let's check him out. He comes home, and the father sells his wife, he says... You stay here with our daughter. I'm going to go interview this boy. He calls him into the room, into his study. And he says to him, hey, Yankala. He says, you know what it means to get married? You know the responsibilities of it? You know how much it costs to take care of uh, my daughter? It's a lot of money. What are you going to do for a living? How are you going to be able to take care of my daughter? He says, don't worry, future father-in-law. God will take care. He says, hello. He says, one day you're going to have to send this kid to school. Your children are going to have to go to school. How are you going to be able to afford to pay tuition? He says to his future father-in-law, don't worry about it. God will take care. He says, hello. One day your children are going to grow older. You're going to have to marry them off. You know what it costs to make a wedding? How are you going to afford to do this? How are you going to pay for it? He says, don't, man, don't worry about it. He's like, listen. God will take care. The father-in-law runs into the kitchen to his wife. He says, this guy, we must take him for a son-in-law. I never heard of such a guy. This is the most amazing guy. She says to him, whoa, what happened? What did he say? He says, listen, he's the first guy to ever call me God. Right? So this is the way it is. People could think in their minds or in their hearts about certain powers in this world and think, oh, that's where I'm going to be saved from. And this is also an open prohibition. As the Rambam explains right away in this chapter two, right after he makes his whole introduction about all these mistakes, chapter one is not a history. Chapter one is law. It's the law of the introduction to understand the disease, the problem of idol worship. It's to think even that there's a possible for some middle thing that that's a real thing. It's a messenger. It's, it, to think that it's not God itself who answers your questions and your conversations and whatever it is that you get, it's all from God. To think that it's anything else, that is idol worship just the thinking itself. As the Ramam states now in the next second chapter of idol worship, he says, the main commandment of idol worship is not to serve one of the creations that God made, not an angel, etc. Even though the, you may say to yourself, I know that God is the one who created this angel. But I'm going to worship the angel because it's also got powers. That's what the Torah says is telling you to be careful from. Maybe you're going to let your eyes, your heart to go that direction and think that those are entities that runs this world. And God shears, you you may think that God shears his running of the world with these you know entities. And you're going to think maybe that it's appropriate to bow and worship and serve these entities. And on this the Torah tells us, do not make a mistake and think this in your heart to serve any of these that they should be a a a medium, a middleman between you and the creator. And in the continuation of the laws the Rambam specifies even more that Hashem commanded us not to read books that talk about idol worship at all says the Rambam. You're not allowed to read books that deal with idol worship. And not to think about it and not to talk about it. Why? Because this will lead you to follow those idol worship. And not just idol worship alone it's forbidden to think about even in your mind. But any thought that leads you to that is Paths that take you away from the foundations of the Torah. So from all this we understand that in order to be able to fulfill the mitzvah properly, the mitzvah of the prohibition not to worship idols and the positive commandment to only serve God. It's not enough to know just about what is a deity. What you have to do, what not to do. On the contrary, the first thing you must know that you must distance yourself completely is in the, even in the mind. And that's why he has such a lengthy point about this. It has to be set deep into the minds of people and into the hearts that all creations of the world do not have their own entity. And therefore, there's no, there's no place to respect them as, an, as a deity or to make them any kind of specialty Not an angel, not a zodiac, not stars, and not any of the four species that Hashem used to create the world, fire, water, spirit, or earth, or anything else like that. And even more, this introduction to the laws of of worshipping idols is important to to the whole point of the mitzvahs, to know how to be careful not to fall into the trap of idol worship. As the Rambam actually states in his in the introduction to the whole set of Rambam. He says there that he includes in the first book of the Rambam. In this whole first book of Mada. He says I'm including here the general mitzvah of recognizing, knowing the oneness of Hashem and the prohibition of idol worship. That's the point of the whole book. And therefore the Rambam makes this clear in his introduction of the first chapter. Starting in the days of Enosh, Adam's grandson, people made a mistake. The the chachamim of the wise people that made this mistake. And he explains what their mistake was. Because they said, oh God created the stars. Therefore, we could also worship the stars. Therefore, people made that kind of calculations until they were able to build their own courtyards and their own temples and their own whatever places, God forbid, To worship. Therefore the Rambam says. You have to understand that the main point of idol worship. Even the way it was in the days of Enosh. Which technically was to grasp. The desires of God. But they made a mistake. And this is not just because God told us this. But because this is the opposite of. Human. Normal. Philosophical thinking. Because it all came from the mistake of what the people of Enosh did. Big mistake. Knowing that it's only God, he alone, that runs this world. And that's how they were able to make such foolish mistakes. And then in the next halacha, the Ramah brings down how low it came that people were able to, the prophets, people came and said, that oh, we're speaking like prophets, they said they're prophets. And they said that God said that we should even worship these stars. And they said that the priest, the Kohanim said, you should worship this and you'll be successful. Or they said that the star itself says, bow to me, worship me. And They said, oh, this image is going to make it better for me. This image makes things worse for me. All coming from the idea of these false prophets. That means the thoughts, the mistake happened in the mind. And that led to action of doing the wrong thing. And this is what he brings down at the end. That you could completely forget about the existence of God. Once you veer off. And you start to think that there's other entities. Then you forget about the source of everything. As it happened then. People forgot about the, the one who created the whole world. It's all because of this mistake. That you can go from one step to the other step. And so until you forget everything who runs the world. And after all of this the goes in his third halacha to tell you how Abraham came to the recognition of the knowledge of God and it, so now we get to understand more how by a person it could be completely a, a conclusion to recognize that worship, idol worship is completely out even when Abraham found himself amongst the idol worshipers in the most lowest way actually he himself was in that stage Nevertheless, he got through intellectually grasping it. He got to get to the truth to understand that there's a real creator to this world. And even more, he goes through the details of how Abraham came to that recognition. Because the Ram, Abraham used to ask himself, says the Rambam. He would say, how is it possible that this Zodiac should be there? How could it constantly move without having somebody that would make it move? Who's turning the world? It can't just run by itself. And these are the questions Abraham started asking and he couldn't get answers till he came to the conclusion that there's a God that runs this whole thing. So in other words, it's the creation itself that brought the proofs to him of the true path, that there's a one God who runs the world and creates everything. And all this is the introduction to the foundation of the laws of idol worship. Not just that it helps a Jew to be careful not to fall into idol worship, but more that in your mind and in your heart it must be the truth. Authenticity must reign through us, through our minds and through our hearts. That there should be no room for this sin. Even intellectually, it has to be that everything is to recognize that there's no real existence other than God. With this, we could understand when the Rambam chooses this point, the opinion that Abraham was 40. Remember, we asked the question, why did the Rambam choose the opinion that, that he Abraham recognized God at 40? Why not 3? Why not 48? The different ages we said, right? 50 different opinions. Now we can understand it. Because, as we just said, recognizing the oneness of God, if through your intellect, was a major accomplishment of Avram. And by that, throwing away idol worship. What's the specialty of the number 40? It says in the Pirkei Avos, the sages teach us, Ben Arbaim Lebina. When a person turns 40, you hit the level of understanding things. 40 is associated with understanding bina that means that the nature of a person when you turn 40 you now hit a level of bina of understanding in other words a completion level of understanding is when you hit 40 till somebody's 40 you could always say to them "Ah, you're a youngster you don't get it when they turn 40 can't really say that anymore Because the nature of a person who's 40 is you get it. Just like we find it says when you're 30, you're ben shloshim lekoach. You're at your great strength at 30. Just like it says that when you're five years old, you could learn chumash. And the same thing when you're 50, you could give advice to people. By the way, notice I said you could give advice to people. A lot of people, when they turn 50, they think they have to give advice to everybody. They didn't say that. It <laughs> said, When you're 60, it says you're starting to go into older age. The point is that it's an age nature that Hashem put into people. So yeah, I guess if you turn 60 and you can't do the things you were when you were 30, don't feel so bad. That's what the Mishnah says. But by the way, the Rebbe once said, uh, uh, by his 70th birthday, people flew in from around the world for the big Fabringant. The Rebbe's birthday is always a hard one to come to because it's three days before Pesach. So you have to, you know, leave your family. It's all hard. Anyway, by the Rebbe's 70th birthday, he said that the age doesn't go by your passport. He said age goes by your attitude. So don't think that, oh, I hit my this age, uh, you know. Throw me to the side. No. But back to here. Why did the Rambam pick this idea, that A, the, the opinion that Abraham recognizes God at 40? Because 40 is the level where you hit understanding. So here we understand that the true recognition of understanding and comprehending the uh, one God and the excluding of any real existence, of any existence at all, besides God, to basically exclude that there's nothing real, ultimately, again, at the end of the day, except for God. That is something that you reach to on the nature when you hit 40. It's not something that's beyond the level of comprehension. It's in the world of comprehension. And that's why he picks Abraham recognized the God. Intellectually, he grasped the concept. And that fits with the whole point there. Even though the Rambam says that when a person's 40, yes, you hit a lot of understanding. And when you get older, you could understand a lot more. And as you age, you become wiser and smarter. That's true. But there's a completion level at 40. And even Abraham, of course, he increases his level of comprehending God when he's 48 and when he's 50 and so on. Of course, he's constantly getting smarter In his comprehension. But 40 was a solid number. That according to the sages. At 40 you have a real level of comprehension. Now we understand why. The Ramam does not mention at all. That he began to understand and search. When he was three. Because he's not looking for the beginning. He's looking for when did he seal. There was no more room for any mistake anymore. He doesn't want, like a three-year-old believes in God, oh, because, you know, yeah, I don't understand, but I believe that there's higher powers. There are things that are miraculous. He wants to show the level that you really understood it with your own mind, which is a key ingredient. Now he says, with this principle of understanding the Rambam here, now the Rambam goes on to say, how did Abraham come to this recognition he started to answer people people started asking questions why do you believe in a god and he started to make big public uh, you know hearings and stage uh, you know uh, settings where he was able to answer people the questions and when he became so popular guess what happens when he became so popular with truth the king wanted to kill him because Abraham was going against the king because the king said, King Nimrod said, that I believe in all the deities. And Abraham said, no, I'm going to put the idols of us out of business. It's all baloney. So the king actually wanted to kill him. The whole story where he threw him into the fire and a miracle happened. Abraham survived the fire. Another time that story. So Abraham went around the countries and he got more and more people into this. Until he managed to successfully bring back to the path of truth thousands and thousands of people. They were called the people of Abraham, the Abrahamic people. They lived with the principles of the house of Abraham. So he planted in their hearts this major idea through many proofs, intellectual proofs. He was able to bring the path of truth into the hearts of the people. And that only made it stronger, the truth, that he was able to convince everybody. Based on all of this, now we can go back to answer our original question. The original question was, how do we say that if Noah lived in the generation of Abraham, he would be like a nobody because Abraham is so great that Noah he can't compare to Abraham. So Noah would be a nobody and we asked a question: What do you mean if he would live in the generation of Abraham? He did live in the generation of Abraham, so there. Here you could now understand the answer. It doesn't mean in comparison to Abraham, Noah in comparison to Abraham himself. That's not what it means. What it means is Noah compared to the generation of Abraham. The generation of of Abraham does not mean when Abraham started his campaign of outreach, which was in the city of Haran. That that's true. That stage when Abraham started to convince people where well, it was when he was a youngster. He started to bring back souls, as the verse says, had nefesh asher asu b'haran. The souls that he made, the people that he turned into Balchuvas in Haran, that did start in the days of Noah, that's true. But when did the generation, when did people start becoming Abraham's generation people? When did people start becoming Abrahamics? When did that start? That started a little bit later. Even after he was accustomed. It started when he came into the land of Israel. Or as the verse calls it, in those days it was called Eretz Canaan. The land of Canaan. How old was Abraham when he came into the land of Canaan? Says the verse of Lech Lecha. 75 years old. That's when major numbers of people started not just to believe in one God, they started to preach to the rest of the world that there's one God. Ah, when do you know that you successfully? taught somebody something, when the person you taught starts to teach that teaching to other people. In other words, they're so convinced of that value, that whatever it is that you're teaching, that they go now and also start to teach it. So everybody started to become little Abrahams. That started in the land of Canaan. So when do we put the title, Shal Avram, the generation of Avram, that's when he started to make a bunch of small Abrahams. Meaning he started to make it that the people would gather together, thousands of people. That's when he planted in them this understanding of a one God. Now this accomplishment, that they're recognizing of one God, was not through Abraham winning over them by force. That's not what it was. He did it in a way in winning over them intellectually. Therefore, their recognizing of oneness of God was like an additional thing to them. They actually got it, and now was planted in them. He planted it in them, he seeded it into them, and from there was able to grow. And that's what it means that if he was if he was in the generation, meaning in that stage, then Noah didn't even live in that stage. Because as we said, Noah died Noah years after Abraham was born, 58 years later. That's what it means if he would be in that generation because he wasn't in that generation. But now we still have to understand why in the third section of the Halacha, says the Rambam, that after the children of Jacob, they started mingling and living in secular societies. The people that understood, knew God for many years. They, we lived in Egypt and we knew God. And all of a sudden we started to learn from the people next to us and we started to become idol worshippers. to the point that we almost completely uprooted all the values that we had in our hearts from Abraham. That's seemingly the complete opposite of everything that he said till now. Till now he said you learn it and get convinced of it to the point that intellectually you were sold. What happened now to the children of Jacob The generations later? We got affected in Egypt from the society. We started worshiping idols. What happened? How could that happen to us? How could this happen to society? People that were normal people devoted to a one God, how could it happen that their minds just think so differently? How could this possibly happen? And I believe this coming answer here is the answer that we could answer to ourselves when you look around today around the world what's going on. People that used to think that light is light and dark is dark, today those people think that dark is light and light is dark. It's mind-boggling. How could that happen? But this is the Rebbe's question already then and that for bringing. Like I said, that story that happened with that Judah was shot then. This is the same point that we need to realize. The first is the question here. How could it happen? What is the Rambam telling us here? That the children of Jacob who really understood the oneness of God, we all of a sudden got affected from the society when we intellectually were so connected. As the Rambam starts, tells us what happened, that after we went off the path, and we started going back to idol worship. As which is crazy as that sounds. He says out of God's love for us. He gave us Moses. Who was the teacher and leader of all future prophets. And Moshe was the one to be chosen. And to choose out of all humanity. The Jews. To be the inheritance. Of the crown. Of the mitzvahs the ways that he wants us to conduct ourselves in this world the Rambam is emphasizing here that the, es- the existence the essence of this existence of idol worship and the worshipping of it in any kind of form even like the days of Enish which was only like a mistake should have no place and it's even understood intellectually that's true that's the introduction together with knowing that intellectually you cannot give up on this value because making mistakes intellectually could lead you off the path. Together with this, the Ramam says you cannot rely on your mind alone. The path of just intellect is not secure. Intellectual conclusions are only good for today when you see something in front of you that may be able to get you through. But if you rely only on your intellectual conclusion, it could happen what happened in those days. The nation that knew God, after living a long time in Egypt, we started to follow the Egyptians and there were many Jews that worshipped idols. We went back to the same mistake. Why? Because we relied that our relationship was. Because I'm strong enough in my mind. I came to this conclusion. I read this thesis and I'm convinced. That wasn't enough. To keep us alive. And to serve only God. Intellectualism enough is, is not enough. In order to protect us. From the sin of idol worship. We needed to have something else. What is that? That is God's love to us. That he gave us Moses. And gave us the Torah because now you have to do it because God said to do it. It's not enough not to worship idol because you came to that conclusion in your mind. You also have to be able to have the strength to do it because this is what I was commanded to do from God. And that's actually the halacha here with the Rambam saying. Even he who disassociates himself from idol worship because you rationalize it, has to do it, you have to do it also because it's a commandment of God. That God gave this to us. So, in other words, like this, based on all of this, the first chapter of the Rambam in the laws of idol worship brings he brings out two points. Number one, that the sin of idol worship is something that has to be completely, completely out of our mind. Completely no space in our heads to go to idol worship. Completely. Even your thinking process, you can't have that. It has to be, as we say in Yiddish, it has to be completely out. Number two is, on the other hand, you have to commit yourself to the oneness of Hashem based on recognizing things to understand it. But it has to be that Hashem is the one that told you to do it. Because if you do it only because Hashem said to do it, then nothing changes. This idea, by the way, as a side note, you know, we use many times this proof. We say the idea of doing things intellectually, you could always, the intellect could change. Let's just say, an example a person says, You know why I don't murder another person? Because it's disgusting to pour somebody's blood. Right? What's going to happen when a little while later somebody comes to you and tells you that person's blood is not real blood? That person's blood, it's like a a fly on the wall. Oh, now all of a sudden I could kill him? In other words, if you use based on rationale, you could change your mind. That's what we know this from the generation of the Germans, one generation before us. They were mortal people. But as soon as they were able to rationalize it and say this kind of category of human people are not really humans anymore... They were able to consciously just do whatever they want. And butcher people. But if you treat other humans because Hashem said that's the way, then it never changes. Back to here. When, God, when, the round, when the commandment is to worship, not to worship idols, you have the negative commandment is that you're not allowed to worship an idol. And the positive commandment is you have to know God. You have to know Hashem and know the unity of Hashem like the Rambam brings down in the first set of his books that he says that I include in here all the mitzvahs which is a major fundamental thing of our religion and Moshe taught us. For example, the believing in one God and the forbidden worshipping of idols or to, and that's why he calls this name of the first book, the book of knowledge, Sefer Hamada, the first book of the Ramam is called the book of knowing. You have to know God. So the Rambam brings down, even in the positive commandment, he brings down both of these points. In the beginning of the laws of the of the foundation of the Torah, he says, the whole point is, knowing, you have to know the existence of God. So the first mitzvah, positive mitzvah is to know. But then if you look in his book called the Sefer mitzvah, where he has the list just, point out all the mitzvahs doesn't go in explanations over there he says that the mitzvah is to have faith in god so you see you have to have both you have to study the Torah. you have to study you have to have the wisdom but you also have to have faith you see if a person understands everything then you're not you don't need faith faith is only to the level that you don't understand If you grow in your knowledge, now you have to have a higher level that you have faith in. You're believing in something more than that. Once you know it, it's not faith anymore. Faith is something that you cannot comprehend. It's higher than comprehension. And now this gives us the insight, the concluding paragraph here is like this. It gives us now the depth of the internal ideas here. Just like in recognizing God, the creator of the world, through the positive commandment, is not enough just to know it, you also have to have faith. Because if you only serve God based on your knowing of godliness that there's only one God and everything how Hashem is like metaphorically speaking Hashem um, contrasts Himself to have a connection to this world because God is way above this world but the recognizing of this of the godly light how he's higher than the world. You could ha- that part you could only take with faith. So you have to recognize both parts: the part that Hashem is in this world, the way Hashem connects to us. And then there's a part that's obviously beyond my comprehension. So too, it's on the it's on the negative side. Both of these points. Not just it's enough to fulfill the commandment literally; that it shouldn't be built only on your intellect, but you have to have also. The submission that Hashem is higher, and that there's nothing and nothing in this world has any real existence in this world. Even things that don't have an existence in this world. In other words, they're not truly in existence in comparison to the to the oneness of Hashem. It's not enough that that should be built on your intellectual conclusion, because besides the fact that if the whole if your whole foundation of why you believe in a god is because it makes sense to you it could happen that over some time you could be stooped into something else of worldly matters and then and things of the world could have effect on you and you and your intellect could overcome you and start thinking in a different way till actually God forbid it could take you completely off the normal path like it even happened to our forefathers in egypt That they were able to go back to those ways. Intellect of a person is an existence. It's a limited existence. Therefore, intellect does not have the power to overcome the existence of everything completely. It's only when you recognize that the existence of God and not worshiping idols is a commandment of God and with faith, then you can really reach the truth. So let's, Summarize the point of this Sikha here. To understand this idea that if Noach would be in the generation of Avram, he wasn't in the generation of Avram. We're not talking about in the age of Abraham, we're talking about in the humanity of his generation that captured Abraham's conviction. Of believing in one God. But Abraham's conviction of understanding in one God. Was only enough that sustained for many generations. But not for eternity. Why didn't it last for eternity? Even for the children of Jacob? Because we were connected then. Only based on. an intellectual conclusion. That that was the right thing. If we want to be able to help. That society should be able to hold on to these values all the way through, no matter what the environment is around, it must be also connected to the fact that we believe in the existence of God, that everything else is only completely secondary to God. It's only if you recognize that God commanded us to do this. So in other words, if you don't have God's part in this picture, it doesn't last. So how is it possible that people today should think so, let's call it so um, the opposite of the way we could think? How is that possible? Because there's no God in their relationship. They don't focus on the godliness part of the relationship. They focus only on their intellectual basis. Therefore, if they heard a lecture, it could take them completely off. They're not strong enough because they're not believing in something that's higher than intellect. So it's all about intellectual conversation. Either you could you could convince me like this, you could convince me like that. And this is the point, how it could help us to be b'simcha. How could we be b'simcha? As the Rebbe talks in the Fabreng in there, not in, it's not in this uh, edited version of the Sicha. But the point is, by recognizing and remembering that Hashem is the one that runs this world. And that's who we have to communicate with.